welcome to the Acupuncture Outsider podcast. My name is Richard Hazel, and in the time it takes for you to commute to or from work, I hope to have shared something of interest about orthopedic acupuncture using motor points, trigger points, myofascial slings, neurofunctional acupuncture, segmental treatments, anything that crosses my mind that seems to be of interest. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Acupuncture Outsider. This is Richard Hazel and today I wanted to talk about uh, needling in three dimensions. Um, For orthopedic acupuncture we need to really understand the anatomy and and that means needling to the correct depth to get to the muscle that you're trying to treat. Um, In traditional acupuncture typically the location of a needle is going to be typically based on meridian systems and the depth of the needle um, is really more relevant to producing a chi sensation than it is which exact muscle that you're targeting. So for something like master tongue, you might want to tap the bone or you, um, you need to make sure that you get a chi sensation. Um, so the depth will, will be based on that, um, just being able to initiate that sensation. Um, and that could be done often at a more superficial level on some people and then maybe a deeper level in other people, um, or with some manipulation of the needle, you can create that chi sensation without going d- uh, deep. So the depth will be very arbitrary. And, um, you know, in some, in, from some people's perspective, you might want to be more superficial in the warmer months and then going deeper into the, the point um, in the colder months, um, or just depending on what you're trying to do, dispersing or nourishing, um, the depth might be relevant to just something more from a yin and yang um, perspective. So the depth is still very arbitrary. Um, in orthopedic acupuncture, we don't have the room to say, oh, well, I got a sensation, so my needling is done. Um, For instance, if you want to needle in the lower leg, if you want to needle into the extensor digitorum longus, you're going to have to go through the tibialis anterior muscle. So if you just put your needle in, tap it, and, and get a chi sensation, you're very likely just in the tibialis anterior and you're not in the extensor digitorum longus where you want to be. Um, and you have to be able to feel those level changes. Um, the best way for me to explain that is something that I think of as the different levels, um, how they feel as butter, cheese, and cork. Um, Cork is really usually an ischemic muscle, but let's say you're needling the the semispinalis capitis in someone's neck 
they're face down in your face cradle and you're going to tap your needle in to get into the semispinalis capitis. You're first going to be passing through what will be part of the, the trapezius um, where it's becoming an aponeurosis, so it's more fascia. And it's very thin there. So when you tap through the skin and then that trapezius, um, it's going to feel like butter. You're, there's no resistance for your needle. And then when you get to the semispinalis capitis, especially on somebody who needs it to be treated because it's super tight, it will feel a little bit more like you're going into cheese. And I'm thinking of like cheddar cheese and not the American uh, Velveeta or some sort of um, ricotta um, or brie. This is going to feel more like going into, say, cheddar cheese. Um, for, um, what's another one? So going into the obturator internus or the gemellus muscles in the lower glute area, you first are going to go through the gluteus maximus. So you tap your needle in. If you stop there, you're not going to get to the point you're looking for. Um, it's going to feel more like butter going through the glute max. And then you're going to get into a tight, deep rotator uh, with your needle. And that will feel a bit more like cheese. Cork is something you'll find a lot in the low legs of, of, of your senior citizens. Um, there's a lot of ischemia going on in those muscles of the especially uh, the plantar flexors, um, the soleus, the, the flexor digitorum longus, tibialis posterior. Those muscles get very, very tight and ischemic. Um, I have theories about it mostly to do with slow twitch muscles and their propensity to shortening that we learn through uh, the work of Vladimir Yanda. But um, regardless, what you'll find is if you're not aware of the needle sensations that you can expect, you might stop at an ischemic muscle because it might feel like you're getting to the bone, like you're hitting the tibia, when you're actually hitting a very ischemic soleus. And so knowing your location, which hopefully you're learning in a live course, um, is essential. And then having the confidence that you know what it should feel like to needle into the soleus. And then when it feels less like cheese and more like cork, you know that your patient has an ischemic muscle. And at that point, I, I will still want to needle into that muscle, but I'm communicating with the patient that, that this muscle is extremely tight and very likely ischemic. And I'm waking it up by treating it, but because it's been ischemic for a long time, they can expect um, some muscle soreness for a day or two after treatment. This is normal. When you wake up an ischemic muscle, the immune system has a response. There's going to be those white, white blood cells that come in to clear out the uh, dead tissue or the less than healthy tissue. And there's, you know, that inflammatory process is necessary. And the next time that I treat the same patient, that muscle will be much more like the cheddar cheese feel 
because it's getting its uh, elasticity back and it doesn't feel rock hard. And that's when they start to get the benefits of the treatment um, in terms of mobility and restoring function for, let's say, the ankle, if that's what you're working on. So that cork feeling is a, a, um, a sort of a warning sign that this person's going to have some soreness after treatment and we need to be communicating that and explain it and just explain it in just the way I just did. People, people want to understand what's going on with them. Um, I was told, I think someone in school, maybe one of my professors told me, patients don't really want to know why you're doing what you're doing. They just, you know, they basically, they don't want the, they don't want the pregnancy. They just want the baby. And that's not been my experience, especially when you're working with orthopedic treatments and you're treating something that many people have failed at helping that patient with. They really want to know why did, why did the cortisone shots not work? Why did nerve ablation not work? Why did physical therapy not work? And I want to explain it to them and I want to give them confidence that what we're going to do is different and it makes complete sense from a scientific level and and they should stick around for the few treatments we need to start budging this um, difficult situation, especially if they have a lot of ischemia. Trigger points are part of that. You know, if you have ischemic tissue, you can be guaranteed it's uh, it's being restricted by trigger points, tight bands of muscle. Um, another another situation where you're going to feel cork um, is going to be the gluteus minimus, especially on someone with hip issues or post hip replacement. They're going the gluteus medius. Let's review a little bit of the functions. There, the the abductors of the hip are also pelvic stabilizers. So the, the gluteus medius, which everybody knows, the TFL and the gluteus minimus, which many people forget, are very important for stabilizing your hip, letting, basically letting you walk and not have your hip, your hip sag on the opposite side when you're walking, keeping your pelvis in, in line with the horizon, pelvic stabilization very important. The adductors do that too, but right now I'm just talking about the gluteus minimus. Um, Gluteus medius is a phasic muscle that's prone to inhibition, more prone to getting weak. Um, Whereas the gluteus minimus and the TFL are postural muscles or tonic muscles and more prone to getting tight and the gluteus minimus is usually extremely tight on somebody with hip issues because it has been overworking to stabilize the pelvis when the glute medius and the tfl are no longer strong enough to stabilize and the tfl often takes over as the uh the the hip 
stabilizer when the glute medius is weak, and then the glute min is the assistant to the TFL. It's like the little TFL because TFL does abduction and hip internal rotation as well as hip flexion, and the glute minimus does abduction and internal rotation, but no hip flexion. So, but it's the it's the little mini me to the TFL. So if the TFL is tight, the glute min is tight. So what am I what am I saying here is um, if you're treating TFL, you should be treating glute min. And glute minimus, because it gets so tight, is very dense. It's a very dense muscle. I, I treat it sideline, and I usually go halfway between greater trochanter and the and the iliac crest um you want to use on most people at least a 75 millimeter needle and 30 gauge would be my choice especially because i know i'm going into an ischemic muscle a 32 34 36 gauge needle yeah you might be able to get it in there but you're going to be doing some work um spinning and and really redirecting trying to get it into that ischemic muscle just use a 30 gauge needle it'll go in um, when i'm needling the gluteus minimus i'm first going through that fascia lata and the glute max which is like butter and then i get to the gluteus medius which is a little more dense it'll feel a little bit more like the cheese that i'm talking about and then when you get to the gluteus minimus, I, it's, you're usually almost the end of your needle and you can feel suddenly the resistance is hugely changed and it's going to be more like going into a cork. Um, and, and I'm communicating with the patient at this time. When I get to the right spot, it's going to be sore and achy because this is a very tight muscle on most of us. And when I get to that sore, achy spot, they know that it's okay because I predicted it and told them what to expect to feel. So they know I'm on the right target and they're not questioning whether this should be a little bit sore because it will be. Now, if you are unfamiliar with needling the gluteus minimus, you might get to what you think is the bone. You might think you're tapping the bone, but you're not. You're at an ischemic gluteus minimus. So you have to know the difference between the feeling of hitting an ischemic muscle or hitting bone. Um, because if you think it's bone, you're going to stop right there and you did not treat the gluteus minimus. Um, so you'll get the sense of that density and then you just have to have the confidence that that this is not the bone. This is a super tight muscle, and you need to push into it. And you're going this, you know, that when you're treating something that ischemic, like I said before, the this treatment is going to wake it up, and it's going to be sore. And and I've actually had that soreness post treatment before as well, and it just feels like workout soreness. It you know. I was very much aware of the soreness of my gluteus minimus for a day, um, but it was fine. And as long as you predict that for your patients, they're fine with it. They're fine 
with discomfort that you already told them that they will have, then they know that this is part of the process. Um, it's really important uh, to communicate what to expect. You know, it's interesting that um, people don't complain that they have, well, they might complain, but they, they're not surprised when they have discomfort after a, after a medical procedure. Maybe they had something removed from their skin by a dermatologist. Maybe they've had some dental work. People know that they're going to have discomfort the day after a procedure, and they're not surprised by it, and they don't let it worry them or create anxiety for them. And they're certainly, unless they're in extreme, extreme pain, if it's a normal amount expected soreness, they are not contacting their doctor to let them know that they are sore today. And the same goes for working with patients who are living with chronic pain. If we communicate what to expect, then when they are sore, they know it's part of the process. It's not unexpected. So for me, that means telling them not once, not twice, probably six, eight, ten times the same thing, that they're going to be sore. I'm telling them before. I'm telling them while I'm treating them. After they get off the table and I ask them to move and tell me how they're feeling, and they're usually they're saying, wow, this is so much better. And then I'm telling them, you're going to be sore. You're going to be sore. And I'll tell them again. And then they pay and they're thanking me. And they're saying, I'm going to see you next week. Thank you so much. And I'll say, okay, if you're sore tomorrow, use your heat pad, use your massage gun, do some stretching, get moving, go to the sauna, you can, anything that's going to improve blood circulation is going to help that soreness. And that's what I'm explaining. I'm saying, you know, get your blood moving. That might just be getting up and moving around. It might be some exercise. It might be some sauna, hot tub, heat pad, whatever you like to do. When you have that muscle soreness tomorrow, I want you to, you know, realize that it's normal and you're going to do some things to get the blood flow going and that's going to help speed up the process so you're going to feel better faster and as long as you've predicted that for somebody they're completely on board and they have a strategy they know you told them what they should be doing about the soreness that they're having from treatment it's just there just should not be a situation where somebody is sore and they didn't expect it and they're texting you because they're worried about it. I'm not saying it never happens. I feel like, you know, sometimes I've said it many times and the reality of the soreness is different to them than what I explained to them. So I might say, you're going to be sore, but then the next day they're really sore and they, they, they don't put the two together. <laughs> that, that I said they'd be sore, and oh, I'm really sore. Um, so there are occasionally people who just who don't put those things together, and then and and then I'll assure them this is normal. This is part of the process. I know it sucks. I've been there. I'm often sore for a day before I get to feel better. 
I know exactly what you're going through because I've gone through it myself. And you just have to trust the process. Um, so let me think if there's something else. Okay, so another butter and cheese uh, situation might be treating a forearm to get to, let's say you're treating tennis elbow and you want to treat the extensor carpi radialis longus and brevis. They're deep to the brachioradialis. So you're going to tap your needle. You're usually about two fingers below that that elbow crease and you've got to go through the brachioradialis so you're in through the butter and then you get to the cheese which is that tight wrist extensor extensor carpi radialis longus that is um, that's going to feel more dense and if you're not getting to the cheese you're not getting to the point that needs to be treated you just tapped a needle into somebody but it won't work if it's not in the right muscle. We got to be three dimensionally plotting out where we need to be. And um, um, I'm thinking if there's another good. Oh, so the low back is a great example. The, uh, treating the quadratus lumborum. You know, you're going to go through the uh, thoracolumbar fascia, which is connected to the abdominals, transverse, and obliques, and then you're going to get to the QL when you're just off off the side of the spinal erectors where I would treat it. Um, you're going to feel butter and then you're going to get to the QL and it's going to be dense and it's going to be more like cheese. Um, then you know you're in the right spot. You have to be thinking in three dimensions when you're needling muscles to treat motor points and trigger points of the muscles. So it's not just a matter of saying, oh, well, I'm on this meridian and get your needle into something on that meridian and get a chi sensation. You, you can get chi and not get the point when you're doing uh, an, an orthopedic treatment. So we need to be really focused on the levels of the muscles and, and, um, and where, where they lie. If you are interested in a review, I really like the website that's called getbodysmart.com. It's G-E-T-B-O-D-Y-S-M-A-R-T.com. Um, it's free. And it's a great way to review the muscles so that you know what is superficial and what is deep. What muscles are more superficial and which ones are deeper to those muscles so that you can really practice getting that that needle sensation and knowing what you're going through to get to where you really want to be and it's really those levels of density that you'll feel you know closer to the bone the muscle is the more dense it usually is um, whereas the more superficial muscles are usually the butter muscles those are the ones that are going to feel a little more springy and have less resistance um, there are, of course, um, exceptions. The, the low back um, spinal erectors, when, on, when somebody's in back pain, they're really tight. And they're the first thing you're going to get. You know, Once you get through the skin, you're going to get into those spinal erectors. You are going through that thoracolumbar fascia, of course. But you know, it's, it's not a lot of time in the butter. You're going, you're tapping the needle. And you're probably already into the dense cheese 
of those um, spinal erectors. But, you know, knowing what you feel at the end of your needle is so important in orthopedic treatments. Um, and for patient comfort, you know, knowing when you're hitting something dense and then communicating it to the patient that you're that this is very tight and they're going to feel a little grab in the muscle now as you progress into that tight ischemic muscle. Um, so I guess that's the, uh, the gist of what I wanted to talk about this week. Just understanding those, those different muscle densities, the muscle layers, and feeling confident when you get to a tight ischemic muscle that you're in the right location, you're not in fact hitting bone, you are, you are hitting an ischemic muscle, and then preparing the patient for the sensation of going into an ischemic muscle and the expectation of muscle soreness post-treatment for 24 to 48 hours in most cases. Okay, so I hope that was helpful. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Rich Hazel. Um, I, my email address, and thank you for those who have sent me great feedback. I really enjoy getting your emails. Um, rich at richhazel.com. And um, I guess I should mention the Podia courses. There are some online courses. I'm still, it's still a work in progress. I still have more that I want to put up. But right now, there's some good material there on Podia. It is, you can find it at richardhazel.podia.com. That's P-O-D-I-A.com. And um, thanks for listening. Have a great week.